0: And so she did a remarkable job introducing our series out of Ecclesiastes 3 that says for every purpose every matter for every purpose under heaven there is a time and there is a season everybody say a season we sang it this morning all of my life uh, in every season that we will give god praise that i have a reason to sing and, and that's the important realization that we have that no matter what season you're in if it's uh, in a season of preparation and you're still in school and you might be getting ready to graduate high school and you don't know where you're going to go to college or if you're going to go a uh, trade skill, vocational, technical kind of route and you have some more preparation and you're going to step into your career or maybe you're making the decision to actually take the step of faith and be joined in holy matrimony to a to a spouse, to a husband, to a wife and and then begin the process of a new season coming into your life at a later time with the entrance of children, which are the blessing of the Lord, the Bible says. Every one of those seasons has responsibilities. There are tasks that are designated to the season you're in. And so this morning, I want to pick up because Pastor Haley introduced it. Chris Wilson came in and talked about preparation. We've been using an agricultural metaphor in, in terms of taking a piece of property and getting that piece of ground ready, plowing up the fallow ground, making it, uh, breaking it open so that it's soft and ready to receive seed so that it can produce a crop. And so there's a preparatory season. There's cultivating. There's getting ground ready. And then Pastor Haley came, I mean, I'm sorry, Pastor Jeremy came and did a wonderful job last week on planting by faith or planting in faith, I think is what he called it. And so we recognize that there are things that I have to do depending on the season that I'm in. And so it's my task this morning to pick right up with this same agricultural metaphor and talk about this space between the planting, when the seed goes in the ground, and the, the culmination of that, which is over here in harvest, and there's a lot of busyness in both of those seasons. They're like bookends. You get, you get the seed in the ground, and that's, all the farmers in the area are just scurrying around with all of their equipment, specialized equipment for planting, And then there is this middle season that we call the growing season. The number of days from the time that it takes a wheat seed to grow into a full uh, grown stalk. The the amount of time that it takes a kernel of corn to grow into uh, something that sprouts up out of the ground, into a stalk, into uh, an ear that that begins to be what the Bible calls the full corn in the ear. So, there's a a period of time from planting to maturation. And there's, there's a waiting in there. And in the middle of all this growth, there's a mystery that we can't explain. Oh, science has made some great advances to be able to break down the process biologically in terms of what happens from the planting to the full maturation to the harvest. But I want to talk about that this morning as it relates to your spiritual life, maybe as it relates to your career, maybe growing up a child. Maybe a project or a dream that you have, that you've planted a dream and invested some money into it, and it's in that growth phase where it's the hard time. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a what? Say it with me. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground, So the kingdom of God is, it is present, and he says, this is what I'm comparing it to. It's like. It's like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. The next verse says, night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. You do things all the time that you are confident with a degree of certainty that they are going to happen, though you don't know how the process works. I go to my refrigerator every day and push a button and ice comes out. I I can't tell you how the mechanism is arranged in there. I tell you, I sure get upset when it doesn't work like it's supposed to. (laughs) It says, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how, everybody say how, how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes. Everybody say pushes. Pushes through the soil. Think about this little insignificant nothing of a seed that all of a sudden, actually beginning it once it goes into the ground, it dies first, and then out of that death there is a resurrection. There's a death, there's a burial, and then a resurrection takes place that begins to push something out of the ground that bears absolutely no resemblance to what you started with. That is amazing to me. You start with a kernel of something or this, this little bitty tiny speck or a grain, and, and, and then within a matter of a few days, maybe 10 days, two weeks, you've got something green pressing up out of the ground that's breaking the soil open, that has power in it, it has life in it. Because a, pardon me, a transformation has taken place and it starts to move the environment around it. If there's anything that is alive on the inside of you, it will change the environment in which it's in. And I want you to see that he goes on to say, the, the blade pushes through and the heads of wheat are formed, all up above the ground now, and finally the grain ripens. Everybody say ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, so we're talking maturation, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Say that last line with me, for the harvest time has come. There it is, right there. So there's a season that we get excited. The farmers that are in our congregation that we've had here, a part of us over the years, are always extremely busy at planting, and they're extremely busy at harvest because they've got to get out a whole different kind of equipment. A lot of these things, over a hundred thousand dollars per machine. They're out there in the fields picking the cotton. They're they're harvesting the grain. They're they're bringing in the rice. They're the the soybeans. All of the products that we grow in an agricultural area here in the delta. But the season between the seed going in the ground and the fruit coming out is this growing season. And so this morning, for the next few moments, I want to talk about the mystery of growth. We don't know how it happens, but it it just happens. And whether the farmer is asleep or awake. How many of you know you can sit up all night long worrying about your seed? And how many of you know the seed's going to do what it's going to do? You'd best just go to bed and try to get you some sleep. Because your worrying is not going to make the seed sprout. If the life of God is on the inside of you and you've prayed and you've asked God and stood on his promises, you don't have to worry God to death about it. Matter of fact, he intends, because the Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. How many of you are the beloved of the Lord? Are you, are you in the family of God? Then you're his beloved. Some of you should stand on that promise that you're battling insomnia. God, I'm just not going to worry about this. I, your word says that I'm accepted in the beloved and in another scripture you said you give your beloved sleep. The Bible says the God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. There was a time when I said, Father, you're up all night. I'm not going to stay up. There's no reason for both of us staying up. And you gave me sleep, and I'm going to take hold of it in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. One thing that I'm going to weave through the rest of this message. Every season requires work. Now, that's a four-letter word to some people. Technically, it's a four-letter word to all of us, but you know what I mean when I say a four-letter word. It's a curse word to some folk. Every season requires, say it, work, work. There it is. Four letters that some folk are afraid of. Every season requires work, say it with me, that when handled on time will produce successful growth. I've got things to do. There is a to-do list. But sometimes priority comes into my life that preempts the other things that I have to do. A new baby comes on the scene. And some of the other things may be important. They're just not as important as what I have to deal with now. And so the season that I'm in is going to determine the tasks that I have to do. Because every season requires work that when handled on time will produce successful growth. Three points this morning, and I'm going to be very quick. Number one, say it with me. Seed determines harvest. Seed determines Harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Everybody say, What? You will always always harvest what you plant. And the next verse he tells us, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and say it, Death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the, capital S, Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. That's how you tell the difference in your Bible, whether it's talking about your human spirit, little s, or the Holy Spirit, capital S. If we live to please the Holy Spirit, then we will harvest everlasting life from that same Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. He has life in himself, and he will change the environment around the seed. The point is that I want you to see is that you always reap what you sow. Granddaddy used to say it this way, son, you plant taters, you don't get maters. When you plant taters, what do you get? Uh, I'm sorry, maybe that's just too country for some of you folk. Potatoes. Or tomatoes. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato, whatever. Taters, maters. The Genesis chapter 1 tells us that every seed produces after its own what? Kind. Okay? We don't come together as humans and make some other kind of species. We make baby humans. It works throughout the whole Genesis spectrum. It works throughout the whole biological representation of all of life that God has created. Everything produces after its own kind. You always reap what you sow. We can't say one thing with our mouths and live in a demonstration of action, another thing, and then expect to walk in the blessing of God. We will produce death by the seeds we sow in our actions. You can't live a life of deception and lust and anger and gossip and envy and, 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 and thievery and all of those kinds of things, and expect to live in peace and joy in the presence of God. Why? Because you're going to be chased around by God's servants and they call the popo. It's the Greek word popo. It's the police. <laughs> y'all like that. Every season requires work that when handled on time, will produce successful results. You always reap what you sow. Second principle, quickly this morning. Number two, process requires patience. It's hard for me to get that word off of my tongue and out of my lips. Patience. Patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine of them. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is, everybody knows the first three, love, joy, peace. And the next six, I remember it this way, love, joy, peace, and a package of figs. What tree did Jesus look for fruit on? It was the, what? The fig tree. And so you want to remember the nine fruits of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, and a package, PKG, patience, kindness, goodness, of figs, FGS, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So now all of you know the nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and a package of figs, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, now where is patience? It's right slap in the middle, and I think God did that on purpose because I don't have a whole lot of that fruit in my life. I get frustrated. I get frustrated with people, and I'm in the people business. I'm in the people, as they say, in Texas, where my son lived, in the people business. Patience, patience. Sometimes in the Bible, translated endurance. Sometimes perseverance. The the English word in the King James is long-suffering. And I just almost bow down under the weight of the word long-suffering. But the idea, the, the Greek word sometimes in that usage is the Greek word hoopomone. Everybody say hoopomone. Either sounds like an Italian dude or maybe you're going to a Greek wedding. Opa, hoopomone. The, the, the Greek word hoopomone, hoopo is related to the, the term hypo, hypodermic, not hyper. Hyper is above, hypo is below. So hypo in the Greek is hoopo, okay? So a hypodermic needle goes under the skin to give you an injection, a shot. Hoopo is something it's under. Monet, do you remember the service a few weeks ago? We were in the series called Same Spirit, and I took you to John 14 where it says, In my Father's house are many mansions, and it's the Greek word mone, which means a place to abide, to dwell, to reside Okay. And then later in the chapter, Jesus said, I and the father are going to come and take up our abode money. We're going to make our house where you are. You're going to be the house of God. And I told you that God was building a house. It's just not for you. It's for him. You're the house that God is building. And so we talked about mone, dwelling, abiding. And so when we see the word hupomone, it means somebody who is patiently enduring their hupomone. They're abiding under the load of their circumstances. They're not quitting. They're persevering. They're passionate about something that is in front of them. They're exercising the patient fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is what James chapter 5 says. Dear brothers and sisters, be, there it is, say it with me, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return, consider the farmers, who, the Georges, the tillers of the soil, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. He's, the farmer's doing two things. He's patiently waiting for that growing process to be fulfilled, and he's eagerly looking for growth to take place. For the ripening of the fruit. He's patiently waiting. He's hupomone. He's hanging on. He's not quitting. He's looking. He's, he's inspecting. He's watching the crop. He says, you too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the Judge, capital J, that's Jesus, is standing at the door. There is a season between the planting of the seed and the harvesting of the fruit. And it's this growth period, sometimes one, two, three months or so. And it's, it's this protracted period of waiting. But when I say waiting, I want you to realize that it's not inactive waiting. It's not just lying around It's not just a period of inactivity because there are things to be done in the growth season as well. I have to cultivate the soil around the plants. I have to pull out the weeds that are going to attempt to choke out the life of the new plant that's there. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? But the principle is here. I want you to see this. You will always reap after you sow. Somebody says, well, you know, I just don't know that it's worth making this investment What do you mean encourage my wife? It's not going to work. Well, sir, let me tell you, if you don't ever try, it's sure not ever going to work. You want to invest in your husband, sisters. You want to sow respect and love and honor into your husband. He needs to know that you believe in him. You, you want to know that you, you feel loved and that you're cherished. Husbands, you want to cherish and love and lay down your lives for your wives the way Christ loved the church. You want your wife to submit to you? There's not a woman in the room who won't gladly submit to a man who will lay down his life for her the same way that Jesus sacrificed his life for the church. It just, that's just how it goes, hand in hand. You love her, honor her, keep her, cherish her. To cherish means to treasure. It's something of great value. And you love her the way you would something of great value. Guess what? That value is going to increase. It will appreciate in your life. And she will appreciate it in ways that you will appreciate. I don't read into that anything. you know, that can be, that can be a good meal on the table, and y'all can figure out all the rest, okay? <laughs> There's active waiting in the growing season. Whether you are a farmer that's okay with synthetic fertilizers and herbicides and driving back pests and, 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 and weeds and all that, or if you're a person who is committed to uh, completely being organic and using natural things, that's a whole different discussion and that's not, what a, not a can of worms I want to open up today. But you have to arrive at whatever you're going to do that will drive back the pests that are going to try to eat up your crop. Because as soon as you get in the seed in the ground, there are opposing forces that want to distract you in the spirit from a dream you have, from a seed you've planted, from a confession you've made for the promise of God. Because God wants to attract you, and the enemy, Satan, the devil, is trying to distract you. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? I was working in my home office one early morning several weeks back and I was actually preparing for this message that I'm bringing you today and I was doing some studying on these passages and I was in James chapter 5 and I heard something because the TV was just barely on, not enough for me to pay attention to unless it caught my ear and so I I raised the volume and I hit hit rewind on my DVR and I went back and I heard the story of a young African-American 17-year-old male whose name was Tupac Mosley. And he was the graduate this year. They had a, they had a big article on the Commercial Appeal about Tupac Mosley, who was a graduate of Raleigh-Egypt High School over in Memphis. And, you know, you want to go, well, so what? People graduate high school all the time. But listen, in his sophomore year, Tupac's father had died. And there was a financial crisis and his mom didn't have a job that would support them enough with the finances for them to stay in their home, and they lost their home. And Tupac and his mom became homeless. And the mom is working, and Tupac takes a job too. And he, he doesn't just arise to do what needs to be do, done in the situation, but he stayed in school, and he stayed committed, and he graduated high school. Well, that's great, but wait a minute. That's not anywhere near the story. Because Tupac didn't just overcome the outrageous circumstances of being homeless and the grief at the same time of losing his father to death. And and, and a mom that he's trying to, to work with and keep encouraged, he's got to keep himself encouraged and stay in school because he knew that was the hope of a future, to be able to break a cycle of poverty in his family's life. Tupac didn't just finish the next year and a half and graduate high school from Raleigh, Egypt. But he was the valedictorian of the class and was given $3 million in scholarships and accepted into 100 different colleges. I love that. I love that because typically on the media, they're going to report... A a privileged white student who might come through and do something like that. And oftentimes, the the, the stories that are told about young African American males are not in a positive light. And I sat there listening to that story, and a tear ran down my cheek with a dream for the Delta that God would raise up a young man and a generation that would catch a vision for what God can do in their lives if they just won't quit. (laughs) And because He didn't quit. The cycle of poverty can be broken in his family's life right now in his generation. Valedictorian, $3 million in scholarships. Man, I had a a scholarship to A-State that paid my tuition in my room and board, and I thought that was pretty good for a little decent grade point. By the way, this kid had a 4.3 grade point. Not just 4 point, which is straight A's, but because he had taken some honors classes, he had above a 4 point. Great point. And I'm just scratching my head going, come on, young man, run your race, buddy. That's amazing. And it blessed me for them to shine a positive light on this amazing African-American young man. Stories like that have been in this book that I've read in the last couple of weeks. I read it on one of the plane trips between Memphis and LaGuardia and and Little Rock and then from, uh, not Little Rock, in New York City. (laughs) Not quite the same. And then from New York City back to Fort Worth where I went to stay with Drew and Holly for the weekend and it's written by Angela Duckworth and it's called grit and grit is particularly a southern term that I think of when we talk about somebody has has the ability to stick it out because they have a passion and they have perseverance and that's how Angela Duckworth defines the word grit and it's the power of passion and perseverance. You've got a dream in front of you, and you have a stick-to-itiveness that doesn't let you quit. Defined by her parents as never being able to accomplish what she had set out to do, she now speaks to the boardrooms of Fortune 100 companies all over America. And as a young woman who came from a background that they said, yeah, it'll never happen for you. You don't, you don't have any talent. I had a dad who told her she didn't have any talent. Are you are you outside your mind, sir? And it gave her a sense of determination and grit to prove something. And she's broken through into a level of success. And she told a story that I read on the plane about the 300. We've all seen the Spartan movie. It's based on a true story from history of the 300 mighty warriors from Sparta who withstood the multiplied Persian army, multiplied thousands of people in the past in the Battle of Hierapolis. It's a a true story, and there was something about the the Spartan warriors that were trained in an ethos. There was was a spiritual climate. There was just a a belief that was breathed into every generation of young men and into the citizens of Sparta. The ethos of Sparta was never give up, never surrender. Say that with me. Never give up. Never surrender. And I'm sitting on the plane, and I'm thinking about, she's talking about how important it is for your organization to have an ethos, for your family to have an ethos, for you to have a personal ethos, something that characterizes your life journey, your, your vision, your dream, your perseverance to finish it through, to run across the finish line and see it accomplished. And I'm sitting there thinking on the plane, and I'm thinking about my grandparents' And how they affected my parents, and what my parents dr- drove into me, into my siblings, and what Don and I in turn drove into Drew, into Abby, and they were three things that I heard growing up my whole life, and that Dawn constantly and I, Don and I constantly put into the lives of Drew and Abby, and that was trust God, work hard, and never quit. Say it with me: Trust God, work hard, never quit. Say it one more time. Come on, trust God, work hard never quit. And and this is what my grandfather always told me. He said, Michael, he said, you need to work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. Because my work is labor. When I pray and trust God, his favor comes on my labor. And you need both of those. There's some folks that are just sitting around praying and quoting a promise of God, waiting for the favor to drop, zip open the heavens and drop their lunch down. And they don't know how to, and so what's that four-letter word I talked about? Work. work. Everybody say work hard. work hard. You've got a field. You need to work your field. Yeah. The Bible says abundance is in the field of the poor. There are poor folks who have potential and they don't use it because of ignorance, because of a spirit of poverty, because they're afraid to work. And God, if we'll get up with some vision and we'll get up with some strength of God and we'll put our hand to labor and put it to the plow and not look back and then pray with all of our might and go, God, let your favor touch my labor. It's crazy what you can accomplish in one generation. It's crazy what you can provide for your children and your grandchildren when you will have a vision and you will be determined that you're never going to give up and you're never going to quit, that you're going to trust God and you're going to work hard and you're going to never quit. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Every season requires work. Everybody say work. Every season requires work that when handled on time, timing is so critical, there's a right time to get the seed in the ground. There's a right time for the rains to come and the the growth to take place in the wheat field. Then there's a right time to get out the harvesting equipment and to run through that field and harvest that grain and be able to take it, and make some bread, sell it, support your family, be generous with it and help those in need out. Support the work of God. I just wanna tell you don't eat all of your seed. Don't eat all of your seed, don't spend all of your seed money. Because it's crazy what God does. He gives you one kernel of corn. You put it in the ground. Out from the ground rises up a little piece of green stalk and it will produce at least two or three ears of corn on that one stalk that started from one seed. Every ear of corn will have a minimum of 300 seeds on every one of those ears of corn. So you took one seed and it became a thousand more seeds. That's crazy. You're talking about an ROI from your business class, a return on investment? God has infused the planet. When you take one seed and you water it and you take care of it and you trust God and you work hard and you never quit, he will multiply it beyond your wildest dreams if you'll just let him add his favor to your labor. I'm preaching way better than y'all are acting this morning. To the guests that are here today, I act this way all the time. And I'm not ashamed of it. Last point and I'm finished. Are you getting anything out of this? I got so excited I knocked my screen out. (laughs) Point number three. Point number three. Right ripening means the right time. Everybody say right time. Right. Right ripening means the right time. Galatians 6, 9, one verse and I'm finished. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. King James says, let's not grow weary in doing well. I love the NLT because it's just more in our language today. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Say it with me, come on. At what? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. What? If. 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 We don't give up. So many folks catch a vision and a dream and they they, they, they they carry through the process and then get tired and get frustrated and quit just before they have a breakthrough. Quit just before the business starts to turn and pulls up out of a pool of red ink and all of a sudden enters into a, a series of profitability. They quit just before a marriage starts to turn again and become a house that is filled with love and mercy and peace and the blessing of God. They quit and give up on a child that may have taken and turned a season of rebellion. It's your baby. It's your son. It's your daughter. Don't give up on them, though they may be wandering in a wilderness of rebellion right now. Don't give up on your baby. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. Everybody say the right time, yeah. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. That's his favor on my labor. If we don't give up. Therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. What's my principle? You always, we started and we said, you always reap what you sow, because it's after it's kind. Second point was, you always reap after you sow. You gotta sow the seed if you're gonna reap the crop. The third one this morning is, say it with me, you always reap more than you sow. You're gonna reap a thousand times what you started with if you don't quit, if you don't give up, trust God, work hard, never quit. You always reap more than you sow. And let me just say this. This is just a little PS I'm gonna tack on to the end of it. What do we say in James chapter 5, that last part? It says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged, for look, the judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble about me because you may not like the season that you think I'm in. Don't grumble about me because it may take me a little longer to get over the grief. of losing the love of my life. Don't grumble about me because I'm in a season of waiting I'm in a growth mode because sometimes folk are looking for all the outward growth and it may be a winter in that person's life and there are no leaves on the trees and God forbid to look for fruit because there's no fruit if there are no leaves but sometimes the season that you're in you don't see growth but the growth is all taking place under the surface you're driving some roots down deep into God where you learn how to trust the Lord. I think think I'm reminded of the psalmist that said, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? And that's my story right there. If it it hadn't been for the Lord who's carried me, I probably wouldn't be alive myself. Don't judge me because of the season that I'm in. David was a fugitive in one season. A lot of folk in Israel looking at David and saying, oh, he's a con man and the king is after him. You better be careful and keep your mouth shut. Don't judge David because in the next season, he's going to be the king ruling over you. He's going to sit on the throne of Israel. In one season, things changed. Come on, ladies, I'm not going to leave you out. Ruth was an impoverished widow gleaning the leftovers in the field after all the harvesters had already come through and she was just trying to get something to eat for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. You know, while she was out there in that field that the Holy Spirit led her to, she met a a, a man by the name of Boaz. It just so happened that Boaz owned the field. And Boaz was very impressed with Ruth and her loyalty to her family and to the Extraordinary beauty on this lady's life. Not just outside attraction, but inside true inner beauty. And Boaz said, I want you to be mine. And the woman who was an impoverished widow gleaning the leftovers in one season owned the field in the next season. And she sent the laborers out and the harvesters to gather her harvest because she was the lady of the house. So don't judge Ruth because she's in the moment behind the harvesters just trying to get the leftovers. Don't look at your brothers and sisters and grumble about them. Maybe they're in a difficult season you don't even know anything about. Don't judge Joseph. He was in prison because of lying brothers who betrayed him and that lying wench of Potiphar's wife who said that he made a pass at her and he didn't. He was an honest... To God, man, and I know that this whole Me Too movement that we've just come through has brought to light a lot of disgusting behavior of men that shouldn't act that way, but let me just tell you, just because a woman says a man's done something doesn't mean it happened every time. Just go read the Bible story of Joseph. In prison, 13 freaking years, forgive me if that's too plain, can you imagine can you imagine knowing you hadn't done anything wrong and you're staring out the bars trying to get a little bit of sunshine into your life and going God what in the world are you doing you gave me some dreams that I was gonna be a ruler and I'm not only not a ruler I'm down on the basis in the dungeon of the prison of Pharaoh 13 years God worked to work inside Joseph and the Bible says In the middle of all of that injustice Joseph stayed sweet in the prison I don't know if I could do that folks and there came a time when Pharaoh needed somebody to interpret a dream and Pharaoh called for Joseph and he had to shave himself to get ready to go before the the king of the land before the Pharaoh in one season he's in prison and then the next season He's ruling as the second-in-command of the whole most powerful nation on the planet, at that time, the nation of Egypt. Have you know God knows the season you're in this morning? Come on, I'm almost finished. I'm wrapping this up. I want to say this to you right now. This is the bottom line of this message. Every season has work that, if handled on time, will produce successful and will produce fruit in your life. So i want to say this to you right now as we close this this message today don't waste your learning experience in your current season don't waste what god is doing in your heart right now in your current season in the season initially when i lost dawn i, I fell on my face i laid flat on the floor and said god i beg you in the middle of all of my grief and pain that i don't even have words to describe Dig a well deeper inside of me that will hold more of Christ so that I can love people and be compassionate to your people. I ask you to do a work. Don't let me waste a moment. Don't let me waste a tear, oh God, before you. Don't waste the hard time that you're going through. Let God teach you. Let God mold you. Let God change you. Let God transform you because what he's doing in this season in your life is preparing you for the destiny in your next season. Come on, you ought to be shouting. don't waste your learning experience in your current season because God is growing you. It may be beneath the surface. It may be, you may be in a season where everybody's looking at you funny because they think you ain't doing nothing. They don't know what you're struggling with. The The crying and the tears that you have in the middle of the night. The seeking God, the leaning into Him, the trusting God and working hard and never quitting. It's a mystery. We don't understand how God grows us, how He grows things, how He grows babies. That beautiful Georgia Lee, they'll Hailey and Brennan will blink three times and she'll be graduating high school. Boom, it happens. How did that happen? I don't know, I don't understand it, but it happens. So don't waste your moments. Everybody bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer.